Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. Again, fellow basement dwellers, this is your good friend Patrick O'Dowd welcoming you into another edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Coming to you on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com. Recording this Monday edition on Easter Sunday because nerds never rest. That's right. We are here for you all. We've got all kinds of stuff to cover today. And of course, the gang is all here, at least for part of the show. We'll see what happens throughout. You know, it is a holiday on this recording day, and some folks have obligations. For example, the Reverend Ray Cash here with us today. How you doing, Reverend Ray Cash? I'm good. I am preparing my Easter sermon as we speak. Uh, excellent, excellent. You're going to pontificate yeah. for the masses? Pontificate and bloviate and all those other eights that you can do. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm I'm good, man. I'm actually uh, really excited about the show, and I'm uh, really happy to be on. For the record, this is one of the best weeks the Chairshot.com has ever had podcasting. Go check it out. Yeah, we put it over on Chairshot Radio this morning. At least a can't miss episode of Do you Believe It Is Pod Is War that everyone should listen to if you haven't heard our good friend. Um, Shit, what? Christopher Chris Platt. Platt. You're a good Jesus. friend, huh? Our good He's friend right. whose name we can't remember. <laughs> this fellow this farmer forgot Christopher Platt's name. You know, uh, my fault, my fault. Some epic stuff on Potter's War this week in particular. We've also got, of course, you heard the voice of the lawyer himself, David Ongar. Dave, welcome back in. How you doing? How, how are we holding up today? Is it wrong if I say that, you know, us nerds, we didn't need to take three days off. We're here on Easter Sunday. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, blow, I'm just keeping, keeping the, the, the flow from, I, from chair shot radio. I didn't get a three day weekend for zombie Jesus weekend. Yeah. I only got, I only got my regular weekend because I work for a public institution, state institution, and we don't recognize religious holidays such as good Friday good although it may have been there's a separation of church and state thing i don't know that i've heard something about that yeah it hey, depends on who you ask hold on look i enjoy my friday off so don't ta- don't take away my friday no, i'm not taking away your friday i'm just saying i didn't get that friday so it was not such a good friday for me as i was in the office 
All right, enough Good Friday jokes. Let's also bring in the last member of the bandwagon, the live studio audience themselves, Mr. PC Tunney. Hello, Mr. Tunney. How are you? I'm very um, borderline, you know, depressed, um, upset, you know, emaciated as a fan. No, I'm kidding. You guys, that's a great segment. You did a great job. Uh, if you haven't listened to Chair Shot Radio Sunday morning, every Sunday morning you should be, every morning you should be listening to it. But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the episode. Well done, gentlemen. Well, I mean, we did dedicate a segment to you, so that, that had to be worth it. For those of you who haven't caught up, that's right. This week's edition of Your Team Sucks was PC Tony's beloved Milwaukee Brewers. You know, that team in South Canada. I mean, Wisconsin. It's basically if only, we, if, if only we had global health care here. Oh, right, right. Anyway, but that was a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to pick on Ray at some point as well. Two bandwagoners. We're going to go after a team somewhere. We've got quite the show lined up today. We are really going to talk a lot about things we're watching for the first half of the show. We're going to, of course, cover the third episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which took a visit to Madripoor, which is very, which is also, which is very exciting. We're going to talk about the... What I found surprisingly on the interwebs, controversial Space Jam 2 trailer. Like, there's there's some feelings from some folks that I want I want to share when we get out there. And then I just titled the segment, What Are You Watching? Uh, because there's just so many shows out there that have been dropping lately on various streaming services that I think folks would want to hear us give our thoughts on and that we've been watching and talking about behind the scenes. And so... We just we can't nerd review everything, and we can't we can't do a deep dive on every show. We we went with Marvel, and so we're going to cover a couple of shows there before we get into the second half of the show. Where we're going to talk some Suicide Squad. Um, we've got our second trailer in as many weeks from James Gunn for his upcoming The Suicide Squad, and I'm going to take a seat on the bandwagon this time and turn it over as the not DC guy and ask for some help from our DC nerds to talk to me a little bit about who are these folks and why should I care? That's that's this week's episode. I'm pretty excited, too. Dude, I'm just um, I got to interject this just to throw in, you know, so anybody following bandwagon nerds on Twitter knows that we've been we took the eight movies that won the polls in the 90s ran them through a mini tournament and we're down to the finals which is the matrix versus forrest gump have you seen who's winning this i am genuinely stunned right now is the matrix winning no gump is ahead 52 to 48 23 oh that's what i expected 23 votes in i thought matrix would run away with this personally no way no way only one of the two movies won best picture that's true that that doesn't necessarily mean anything with the bandwagon nerd group, by the way. Like we we say that, like we're like, and I'm not saying that the the bandwagoners don't watch the Oscars. We'll probably talk Oscars. Uh, that's coming up, right? The Oscars aren't too far away. We may have to play a little game of which of these movies did you actually watch? Because no, every everybody knows nobody watches the movies nominated for Best Picture in the Oscars, right? Like you've probably seen like two. Two. It was a little better this year. It was a little better this year. Ever since they changed the nomination process and have opened the field up a little bit more, uh, yeah. But I, I, I remember probably the highlight of my nerddom was when Into the Spider Verse won its Oscar for Best Animated Feature. Like that was, 
that was a terrific thing. And I can't wait for that sequel in 2027 when that comes out. <laughs> yeah, right. So I don't know about 2027. We might need to move that to 2025 now, Pat. Things are opening up. No, you never know. The way the way we're going with these new strains, like I, I will say I've gotten my first vaccination shot. So when uh we got th- got three weeks Me from too. last Thursday. Same. Same. And then there's Tony who's I wait, but you're in South Canada. I thought you had universal health care. Oh wait. Tony is what we call I the think, outlier. I, I think I had it already, maybe even twice, but I think I'm good now. Oh, you oh. got the natural vaccine, baby. Alcohol is a natural vaccine, Ray. You didn't know that? I I can tell you that I have not limited my activities too much. And, you know, if I need to get it so that I can get into places, I will. But otherwise, I'm not going to. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, and speaking of under the weather and illness, if I sound a little off today, I'm still getting over a little bit of a cold and so you might hear some sniffles. You might hear me go a little hoarse. I'm a legit worried about my voice. So we'll see how long I can stick this out. And so instead of pontificating forever, why don't we get right to it and play some Marvel music? So, man, that was an awkward silence. We brought back Baron Zemo here in this edition of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He collected, you know, Bucky and Sam looking for information, go to Zemo to get to figure out who has solved and cracked the formula for the super soldier serum and are trying to find it at its source so they can figure out who the flag smashers possibly stole the serum from this leads them to breaking zemo out of prison because that sounds like a good idea traveling to a place known as madripoor which comic book fans will recognize that location especially x-men fans it's big in the x-men universe where they encounter sharon carter welcome back ms carter and find the guy who has who had developed or redeveloped and cracked the code of the super soldier serum was distributing it to somebody known mysteriously as the power broker we still don't know who that person is yet he had not even a lot of clues as to who that could be yet though tony's giving me the really face you all this is why we we should actually video these these shows because with Tony being like, <laughs> I'd really? have to find different. I have to find different uh, non-essential cues for people not to pick up on, except for you guys. Really? Yeah. Um, all leading to a bit of a shootout, a firefight. The fellas have a new direction to go at the end of the episode as they continue to chase down the flag smashers and this mysterious power broker. And, and yeah, I just uh, I'll open up the floor to some instant reactions. We'll start this week. We'll start with you, Dave, as I'm already starting to struggle. Thoughts on this week's episode? What what did you pull before we start doing our deep dive? Madripoor. That's you mentioned it. That's probably the possibly the biggest development of this episode is the introduction of Madripoor into the MCU because, so like you say, it's tied into so much. 
tied into the X-Men, tied into just a lot of different things. The fact that that's introduced now officially as canon into the MCU leads to some very interesting possibilities. That, to me, was the biggest part. Uh, Zemo putting the mask on, albeit very briefly, was awesome. That was fantastic. And um, now you got the Wakandans involved at the very end. Those are the the biggest points that I took out of this. It's a solid, excellent episode. And, and you get to see just, you know, I, I mean, we were watching it. And I, you know, I mean, we, I'm sure going to get into this. You get to see more of why John Walker is not Captain America in this episode. Because he does shit that Cap would never do. Cap doesn't need to convince somebody he's Captain And the guy who spit... Nobody would dare spit in the face of Captain America. Even Thanos didn't do that shit. So those are the stuff that sticks out to me as far as this episode as really big moments that move this thing forward. But yeah, I, I really... I mean, Tunney's got that kind of smirk on his face, but I don't know who the power broker is really at this point. I, I, I really don't have a good feeling for that. Rev, what about you? Oh, okay. Um, man, Dave, Dave hit so many of the points I wanted to hit. Um, right on, just right on cue. Sorry, Ray. No, beautifully. I'm glad because you you hit them, and I, I everything you hit is I think the pertinent parts of the episode. The Wakandans showing up at the end is a huge deal, especially it being Ao because we know Ao and the Koye were like the main two Dora Milaje. So this means it's coming from the top top. Um, also, um, the Magipur, uh, introduction is huge for the canon of the MCU, and I love that they actually kept Magipur exactly how it was, high town and low town. They could have changed it however they wanted it, but they kept it exactly the way it was. The two, and, oh, and the John Walker thing was, it's, you're gonna see more, him devolve a little more. Two most important things in the episode to me was, number one, Baron Zemo, Baron Zemo was a boss. Can't tell me otherwise. He's one of the coolest, most bossiest dudes we've seen in the MCU yet. And this episode just shows why we need more Daniel Brühl. And the last point I want to make is the most underappreciated character in the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Sharon Carter. Every single time she is on the screen, she steals the show. She might be one of the most badass people in the entire MCU to not have powers. And every time she shows up, she keeps killing it, and I feel for her when she had the conversation with Sam, and she was like, you know, I, I lost everything. Sam was like, don't give me that smoke. I was gone for two years. She was like, but you back, ain't you? I'm still here. Here's Sharon Carter some love. Absolutely. Tony, thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, I think Dave and Ray said it quite well. You know, you guys are a little bit more versed in, in the, the depth of all of these stories than I am. I must have stumbled across the right review or guesstimates last week in bringing up you know, Zemo and, and Power Broker, that's going to be Curtis Jackson, right? I mean, that's that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm sticking with. But I want to just take like a half a step to the side and something that I thought of when watching this episode and knowing that um, ScarJo, uh, uh, why am I blanking on it? The Black Widow movie's coming out is, I think I like the stories being told in this format better than in one two-hour movie. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Just like what what works for you? I think you're a, I, I, maybe it's funner because of what we do, so we get to talk about it for a few <laughs> weeks at a time, right? Sure. But you get to anticipate and speculate, you know, as a fan, and think about what you want and compare it to what's going to happen, as opposed to when you're at a movie, 
you're just kind of watching the whole thing through, right? At least now here, they get a chance to tell more of a story and you get a chance to maybe get yourself a little more involved mentally. True. I, that's an excellent, excellent point. I do think that this is a, a bit more engaging at times than, than a two-hour movie. A couple of things that really stood out to me. One, they retconned Zemo a little bit. Did y'all know I, I People keep saying that. I don't see how. Well, here's here's how. Because if you look at the way his family is depicted in Age of Ultron, you're telling me that this extraordinarily wealthy baron that's like famous is also part of the Sokovian special ops that nobody would like people would recognize him. He he's he describes himself if you go back and you look in Civil War, sorry, not uh, Age of Ultron, wrong movie. He does. He describes himself and his family, and maybe he's like he could say he made it all up, or you know that his grandfather that lives in the city that caused his whole family to die um, was you know really was like this ultra wealthy Sokovian just lived in the middle of the city where where everything was destroyed or the country or whatever. For me, though, it's about the timeline, and I can't remember who made the good point. He went from somebody who was vowing vengeance on the Avengers for what they did to Sokovia to adamantly trying to bring down the super soldier program when it was being revived by Hydra and being like talking about how he spent years getting himself, you know, getting himself into knowing the ins and outs of Hydra. So it's it's a retcon that I think people are okay with and accept because it works for the narrative that they're telling in this story. But if you try to make sense of it in the greater sense of the timeline, like it doesn't entirely jive. I'm okay with this version of Zemo. Like I like Zemo with a million cars and a private jet and a 9,000 year old manservant who is giving them, you know, and he, who he's telling to give them the bad food in the refrigerator too, if it's if it's still in there. I, I love that de- detail. But it, it does kind of paint Zemo in a very different, like he's he's painted much more sympathetically in Civil War, right? Even though he's twisted and, and horrible and evil and tried to wipe out Wakanda. My, my only retort is, and I understand where you're coming from, and there are subtle differences, but we have to remember what we're being told is all from Zemo. We never saw Zemo's family. We never saw anything about Zemo other than the picture of him as a Sokovian special op. That's all we know. So for all we know, he could have been lying. The only things we see Zemo really do are go find the dude who has the Hydra book, is go to the hotel, and like we don't see all these things See, he talks about. Ray, you are totally the fan Marvel wants because you're like you're willing to just embrace it, like which is funny because you're also Mister Easter Egg in the credits. Like you're looking for like all the clues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the same time, there's like this thing that doesn't quite jive, and you're like, yeah, I'm fine with it. We didn't know. We didn't know. I, I'm we didn't know because okay. I'm a big I'm a big believer in a story that you you have to whatever they tell you is what's canon. We can assume all we want, and yes, we may, that may be fact, but it's not canon unless they out and out showed you or told you. Okay. They told us nothing about Zemo. Fair enough. The other Easter egg, and I'm surprised neither of you brought this up, Dave and, and Ray, but uh, the Princess Bar 
makes an appearance in Madripoor as one of the locales in the area. Who owns the Princess Bar? Do Madam either Mask? No? Is it Madam Mask? Nope. nope. Enlighten us, Pod. I don't even remember. Wolverine. Wolverine. Out of hairdos? Wolverine. No, Wolverine, oh, Wolverine runs right. the Princess Bar. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So now, like Ray just said, you go with what they've shown you. But that's totally an Easter egg for Marvel fans and totally an Easter egg for X-Men fans to be like, Princess Bar, Princess Bar, Wolverine's there. Like, that's what they're that's what they're going for there. They're starting to do this a little bit more here and there. Like, Madripoor is a location all on its own. Like I mentioned at the very beginning, is a big-time X-Men locale. But the Princess Bar, that's a straight-up nod to Wolverine when he's kind of off mission with the X-Men. He's in Madripoor doing some, let's just say, creative deal-making. I well love said. it. Well said. Yes, I mean, creative deal making. and that's the great thing about these series is they can they can take the time to introduce these little nuggets of of stuff that they just pulling back the curtain just enough so you can see a little bit and say, ooh, like you're saying, Pat. Oh, hey, that's X Men. That's X Men right there, and just to get you kind of thinking. And they are absolutely brilliant at that because they'll give you stuff like Ray said that he was kind of surprised that they kept High Town and Low Town of Madripoor, but this is what they do. They you never know how much of the canon they're going to stick with and how much of it they're going to tweak a little bit. And that's the beautiful thing about what Marvel is doing. It's phenomenal. It's fantastic. They, and, and they just keep, they just keep doing a great job. The other speculative thing I've seen going on in regards to mutants is the Selby character. There is a mutant in Madripoor named Selby that uh, I can't remember what her, it has something to do with technology. I want to say in the past, maybe, Something like that. I can't remember what her what her deal is, but that was another thing that people were like, "Oh, look at this! She could be, you know, this could be another evidence of mutants in in the old uh, in the old MCU that they just sort of teasing out here and there, left and right." Over under on which episode Zemo disappears? We got three to go: four, five, the and next, six. The next one, six. Think so? I think I think, think it's gonna, I think it's going to be the last one. Next one for sure, because you can see the story start to take a turn. There was a tease there, right? Big tease when they all get split up in the in the shipyard or whatever you want to call it, the storage community, the big shootout. And you think like even then it's set up for you to believe that he's gone, but he's not quite gone. And then here's my next question. Does what does Zemo does Zemo rebuild Hydra? Maybe not calling it Hydra. What no, I wouldn't. It? I wouldn't see that. I, I, but I do see him building the Thunderbolts. That's been a talk. Yep, the Thunderbolts has been a big one. Uh, basically, Suicide Squad for the Marvel Cinematic Universe at different times. Kind of a little darker though. I loved, I loved the Thunderbolts uh, era during um, post Secret Invasion when it was the Thunderbolts were basically the Avengers. It was run by the Green Goblin. That was good shit. That dark rain. That was a dark rain storyline, right? So yeah, well, it was like after, after yeah, it was yeah. after Secret Invasion. So it was post Secret Invasion, but yeah, it was it's right there when you had the Dark Avengers and the, those characters as well. Um, yeah, what it and I guess the other thing I wanted to bring up or, or just ask a little bit about, and I feel like I'm dominating the conversation, so I'm gonna try to step back here a, a little bit on this. Um, 
Sharon Carter. Ray, you talked about Sharon and her role and how she's how she's found her her place. And I was mildly disappointed to see that it was only really one episode. But she leaves off when we leave her. She's hopping in a car and she's talking about how they've got bigger problems on hand. What happened? Where 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 does Sharon Carter go before Sam gets her pardoned? Can I jump in? Do you mind? Go for it. I think Sharon knows more about the power broker than she's letting off. Yeah. I think Sharon actually is working for the power broker who's kind of given her her immunity, if you will, in Madripoor. Um, right. Which is why she so she so easily was able to find uh, Sam and Bucky and Zemo at uh, in Lowtown. That she was so easily able to get them access to the doctor who was in that whatever secret cave inside of the storage unit. On top of the fact that where does Sharon live? She lives in that super luxurious mansion-esque uh, art art studio looking thing. For a person who's been in hell for however years she's been there, given whatever the time frame is for this after the blip, since Civil War, she's living pretty good. So a lot of that makes me question and wonder. Plus, when we see them go to the have the fight at the shipyard or the storage yard, whatever you want to call it, I don't remember seeing the car there with the with her own driver. We don't see that till she leaves. So like there's a lot she's not telling us. Why does she want to get back to the state so bad when she has it so good over there? I get the family aspect of it, but she never talked about her family other than Peggy. Just there's a lot there under the radar. There's one thing I wanted to mention too that it it kind of was a. Uh... I don't know about subtle, but it was there that it sure sounds like Bucky is ready to take the shield from John Walker and become Captain America. Because he actually says they need a new cap and this guy's not it. And so it really seems like Bucky's ready to take the mantle because Sam didn't want it. Because Sam's talking about destroying the shield and you know taking it back and, and just getting rid of it and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But Bucky realizes that there has to be a new Captain America. Sam's not willing to do it. I'll step up to the plate. And that's kind of similar to the comics and, and the di- and what the those two characters go through. And now you got the Wakandans who are involved. And like Ray was saying earlier, these are coming from on high. Now we don't know they do mention the you know the the murder of T'Chaka in this movie. There's no mention of T'Challa. We still don't know what they are, are planning on doing with that whole scenario. But the fact that the Wakandans are being introduced here tells me that they are moving forward in some direction with the Wakandan element and how how and why they're interested in this whole situation is is probably the most intriguing thing about this to me. You, you got to feel for the Wakandans in a, in a certain sense, though, because they didn't have to take Bucky in. They took Bucky in because T'Challa realized he fucked up. And he was like, I'm going to do, do right by you because I didn't do right by you before. And they completely rebrainwashed him. They gave him a brand new arm. All they gave him, he's the first non-Wakandan to ever live in Wakanda. They call they gave him the White Wolf, which is actually in the comics, T'Challa's brother's name. Right? All of these wonderful Easter eggs. And then you go and you break out Zemo, the guy that killed the king. That's a very precarious situation for the Wakandans to be in. And we all know they don't take things lightly. They have a horrible track record when it comes to vengeance. So, Dave, you mentioned this. Do they address T'Challa? I I think 
I don't think that they're going to go into the whole aspect of whether he's alive or not. Um, maybe, possibly, they plant a seed that there's something amiss in Wakanda. But I, I, I know Ray's shaking his head, and I tend to agree with him. It's probably too soon for any of that sort of stuff. This was filmed before Chadwick Boseman died, I believe. Well, I mean, it was delayed for six months, and yeah. or well after he was died. Like they didn't finish shooting until relatively recently, they, so it's not impossible. They could conceivably be pulling an audible here, but I, well, I don't know. Here's my here's my here's my thing. You have like you have to speak to who sent her. Like, you have to, because everybody knows who they represent. Like who the door majority, who they re- represent, right? Like they, they don't they don't act independently. In fact, that was one of the big conceits within Black Panther was the loyalty to the king of Wakanda. So they don't just go. They like they just don't do that. So I think whether or not they address T'Challa alive or dead, you know what I mean, as a character, I don't know if they'll do that. Whether they'll just address whether they say they're acting on at the behest of the Black Panther and just leave it at that and kind of let audience fill its own blanks until the next Black Panther movie comes along. Maybe that's what they do. I'm not going to be surprised at all if T'Challa is mentioned by name because that is going to elicit an emotional reaction from the fans. And I, I'm not saying Marvel would go for a cheap pop like that, but yeah, I, I could see them doing that because that is going to elicit a very powerful reaction from the fans and and just just basically saying T'Challa sent us is going to get people talking people wondering create buzz create interest I know Ray's got that look on his face like I don't think they would do that but but they might no no I agree with you I'm just saying I think it's 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 very understandable because one it's relevant to the story two Black Panther 2 comes out in July I believe of next year so it's time to start talking about it. Exactly. So, I yeah, I think that there will be something, whether it's very in-depth or deep or anything like that. I, I don't know about that, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But we're halfway through the season. We're barreling towards a conclusion faster than I even really expected. Uh, and we'll we'll have to see. I guess, I mean, we're just kind of waiting and seeing who's next. I think the big the big thing is when do we get to see who the power broker is, and how does that come to roost for not only Sam and Bucky, but also for John Walker, also for the Flag Smashers and Baron Zemo. A lot to take in. Okay, moving forward. Also this week, shared in the bandwagon nerd chat by both Ray and I. Because Ray doesn't click my links. That's fine. Yep. That's cool. It is your bad. Sit in your chair of shame. Space Jam True Space Jam 2 dropped its first trailer. And I got I gotta say, guys, I kind of liked it. I I I was interested. Uh, and maybe it's because Don Cheadle showed up as the bad guy, and that got me excited because Don Cheadle is just awesome in everything he does. But it was it was indifferent. It was the same but different, and that's I think what they need to do for this movie. And I just was really impressed. Like it's clear to me, we're gonna get some old school animation, some old traditional cell style looking animation. 
before we jump into a mishmash of live action and CGI Looney Tunes characters who, frankly, didn't look too bad. I thought they actually looked pretty good in the trailer. So I'm excited. I I think this looks like a lot of fun. And I think the little O'Dowd's going to get behind it and it's going to be good stuff. So thoughts on the trailer. We'll start with the Rev this time since we started with Dave last time. Well, first we have to remember, and this is something that's hard for people like us. This is not for us. This is a children's nope. movie. So while many of us adults and people of this ilk who were of the correct age for Space Jam or the original movie are going to sit here and we're going to criticize it to death. That's fine. That's the game. But understand, it's not for us. That's number one. Number two, I believe it's this movie looked like everything that I would have wanted it to be. You said it perfectly. Very similar, but different enough. Um, you know, the two things that the two small qualms I have are uh, just two little small small qualms. One, um, when he's when he's talking to Don Cheadle, who is the the master of whatever world he is, right, the digital world or whatnot, and he says, "I'm gonna uh, make give you the the worst of the worst," and he puts him to the Toon Squad. Everybody forgot they just beat the Monstars. Like they're not the worst of the worst. Very clearly, they're good enough. That's the first thing. That, but, but that's just me. Again, no kid will ever, ever think about that, right? The second thing is they basically bit off a Ready Player One. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's basically what they did. And it's fine. I don't mind. But, uh, yeah, that takes away a bit of the originality for me. But I don't care. So I'm going to watch it the day it comes out, me and the kids. So I'm good with it. Tony, what I do think- you think? I think I was I was not really caring too much one way or the other about this coming out. <clears throat> and I watched the trailer and it reminded me of how much I enjoyed the interaction between the Looney Tunes and Michael Jordan. And now I'm looking forward to the interaction between LeBron and said, you know, Bugs Bunny, et cetera, et cetera, because I'm a huge Looney Tunes fan. Uh, I will still, you know, half dozen times a year throw on the Looney Tunes, whatever I can find, like Roadrunner and Coyote. Someone on social media the other day put out a tweet. It was just a picture of a broken piano on the sidewalk, like with no legs laying flat. And they put R.I.P. Wiley Coyote. And I thought that was hilarious. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this movie. I think Don Cheadle is a nice addition to somebody that can actually lend some credibility to some kind of villain. But yeah, it's a kid's movie. And uh, take, take it for what it's worth. I, I'll watch it. Dave? What about uh, you, man? Well, <laughs> did you even watch the trailer? I did. I did. I'm just, I was never the biggest Space Jam fan the first time out. I'm sorry. Get the fuck out of here. Shut up. I just wasn't. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I, it looks, it looks, it looks entertaining, but like you guys are saying, it's more for the kids than it is for, for us necessarily, but it, it looks Looney Tunes, LeBron James, what can go wrong, right? There's another trailer that came out that I was kind of more into than Space Jam, but, but you know that's another story. Uh, but I mean, it's 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 uh, it's better than fine. I'm not going to say fine. I'm not going to pull the Patrick code out. It's fine, that sort of thing. But if if you were into the first one, like you guys were, then it's going to be great for somebody like me. It's like I'm going to check it out, sure. But it just I don't see know. now. State statements like that are why you deserve to follow the Washington Wizards. <laughs> like that's just shameful. As Ray makes K's all over the place. That's gimmick infringement, sir. Okay, so here was my favorite thing that came out of this trailer. 
the Michael Jordan, LeBron James, tongue in cheek goat argument as they talk about Michael Jordan building a team that defeated the Monstars and people misunderstanding the trailer where LeBron James is trying to get like the iron giant. And, and somebody even said he's a stretch four, he's not a center um, and stuff like that. People misunderstanding the trailer that he like LeBron can only choose from the Looney Tunes. He doesn't get to choose from other Warner brothers properties, but he names off a bunch of Warner brothers characters that he's like, I'm going to get these guys to play on my basketball team. And we all know that that's not how it's going to work. I did like the Ready Player One sort of nod, uh, tribute, whatever you want to call it, uh, at the at the big basketball scene where they gave us a touch. And just Granny's got some moves, right? Like Granny, Granny's got game. Shot score thirty points. LeBron can't dunk because he runs into a force force field. Like that's pretty pretty fun stuff. And shout out to the dunk being the recreation of the famous Dwayne Wade, LeBron James alley oop where Dwayne looks away. Like that's like one of the most classic little uh, basketball moments of the past few years. So I like the recreation of that. That's that was a huge problem. So if you have to cre- if you have one if you have to choose a captain to ch- to, to pick your Looney Tune squad, who who's the captain? Is it is it Jordan or is it LeBron? It's Jordan. The answer to Jordan? all the questions are Jordan. Has yeah. LeBron even beaten a Monstars team yet? Jordan has. Jordan has six NBA champions. Don't no, I'm not going to do this. It's Jordan. Just question. Do you, do you even know what basketball is? Jordan. Don't you live in Canada? Jordan. Jordan. Don't you live in Jordan. LeBron. It's LeBron. Bron Bron versus Jordan. Catch the next exciting episode of Three Man Weave where PC Tony. One hour of PC saying Jordan and Ray saying LeBron. That'll be one hour, one show. As they choose who should pick the Toon Squad. Dave, you said you were much more enamored by a different trailer. Can you can you enlighten me? Is it on the show? Are we going to talk about it later? Or is it a different show? Nope, is it different? We didn't have it on the rundown. So all right, well, because you're Frank you're Hooker, you're Frank Hooker two's coming. Yes, up. exactly. God damn it, Tony. Okay. No, Patrick had the best response to the trailer, which is just release the fucking thing already. So, uh, oh, Black Widow. Yeah, I'm not. I'm sorry. Like we've covered enough with Black Widow. Like I'm so, like we've been talking about Black Widow for so fucking long, and Disney. I'm with Ray now. I am. Give me what I want. Yes, I like, agree. I got. I the trailer. By the time, by the time July 9th runs around, I'll be vaccinated. I might go to the theater. Oh uh, yeah, why not? I I thought the trailer was interesting in the respect that they tie. I mean, I, we know it's going to be a prequel. I'm not buying in anybody's bullshit that this is some. How some way they're going to bring her back to life, but it is interesting how they tied in so many events from the MCU's phases, like Phase Two and Three specifically, into that trailer, which does make you kind of wonder: okay, what what story are they actually trying to tell here? We know they're bringing in Yelena Belova, we know they're bringing in Red Guardian, uh, but really, what 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 is <laughs> yeah, what is the end game to this trailer? Where does this whole thing fit in? Is it just all backstory? Or is there something else going on here? So that was the only reason I wanted to mention the trailer because just the way that they presented it to you kind of got me thinking, okay, I'm not 100% sure I know what they're doing right now. I appreciated that they showed her, her as a child before the Red Room. That's what I appreciated. That was different because all we know about uh, Nat is that, or the Widow, is Red Room, 
assassin Avenger. He was and a child for something in Budapest that we don't know about yet. That we're gonna find out apparently, right? Um, but no, I mean, I think that I think the the idea of the story is pretty simple. I'm curious to see how they're gonna play it out. Um, I like seeing all the allusions, like you said, to Hawkeye and her, their history and the Avengers and and all that stuff. It's cool, and none of that in the movie. I'd I'd be shocked. Oh, you think but, it's one of those trailers? This was clearly a trailer just to say, "Hey, movie's coming out. We got to throw something else out there." Let's remember this movie's coming. Um, just give me Taskmaster. Uh-huh. That's all I need. Just give me Taskmaster. Taskmaster is a guy I've been wanting to see in the MCU way for since day one, since Iron Man original. Got to see so more of him in this in this one. I thought you did. And again, it's not a coincidence that the one the main weapon he uses when he's Two main members he uses are a bow and arrow and a shield. He knows what he's doing. This is true. Okay, there you got to you got to talk about Black Widow a little bit. You feel better? I do. I feel fulfilled now. Tony, anything to add? Cool. Well, let's move on to a segment that I wanted to talk about that I titled "What Are We Watching?" And at the same time that the Falcon and the Winter Soldier came out, Disney Plus re- quietly released another show that harkened back to our work in the 90s project in our childhood that is a follow-up to the Mighty Ducks called Mighty Ducks Game Changers, starring as its primary adult actors, Laura Graham, or Lauren Graham, I, I can't remember what her, where this Laura or Lauren, uh, as the mother of a, of a, uh, as a as a mother of a child who gets cut from the Mighty Ducks team that that used to be the the team of misfits that has now evolved into the powerhouse hockey squad, and Emilio Estevez reprising his role as Gordon Bombay now running a rundown skate rink in Minnesota, hating everything to do with hockey. I was skeptical about this show. I'm totally hooked and into this show. The kids are adorable. They're hilarious. The The podcast kid hits a little too close to home sometimes. When he's sitting there, but he cracks me up. He's got some of the best lines in the show. Like after they play their first game and he says he can't feel anything below his shoulders or something like that. It's, it's great. And I have questions. Like, what the hell happened to Gordon Bombay to where he gave up his law career, gave up everything to do with hockey to run a beat up old skating rink and steal well, and claim birthday cake from parties that doesn't get eaten and just walk around the rink eating birthday cake. That's like a week old. What happened to Gordon, man? Well, if you remember at the end, you remember at the end of mighty ducks three, remember why he wasn't the head coach of the ducks when they went to the high school. He got a chance to be in the league, right? But he was already back as their representation and as a lawyer. We, like, like that's he got he got his chance to be in the league way back at the end of the first Mighty Ducks movie. Like he hopped a bus for tryouts back when that. And I mean that movie's so old that they were still the Minnesota North Stars uh, back back then. Like that movie, oh, those are back in the days. But uh, I don't know. The first couple of episodes, though, I just I found them really funny. I love that the mom wants them to like build this cohesive team so much so that she like won't let them actually play hockey like in their practice like they're not practicing with pucks and stuff 
and it takes her seeing that her kids don't just want to have fun like they do actually want to win a little bit or at least be competitive to, to get her to be like okay maybe we should let him run some skating drills and stuff but i know i've watched it ray you've watched the first couple episodes i think yes and sir Tony, did, we, did we get you on board what did, what did you guys say because i'm sure dave i mean it's, he's too old for this this shit to quote danny glover um i don't think he's the audience so i i, I love the show um, I always felt they were going to have their, in their own way, the new versions of the old guys. So clearly, like, the main kid is Con- Charlie Conway. The podcast right. kid is Averman. The gamer right. kid is, the gamer kid is uh, Goldberg. Kind of like Goldberg. Yeah. They have their allegories. Um, but they're also in a very 2021 way. But it's, not only is it wholesome, but I love the flip i love that the ducks are the bad guys now right i thought that was an interesting way to to turn it all around yep and we get a little 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 giants action run the the annexation of puerto rico get everybody involved (laughs) yes it's it's just fun and it's wholesome and it makes you feel good it's just it's a it's a it's a fun show it's a it's a smart thing what they did because you talk about people of our age and we remember the first one and you catch us like that, right? Especially when you go back, just like we're doing now. We're equating all the kids now to all the kids from the first one. And that's a really cool thing to do. And then Emilio Estevez, now here by the end of the second episode, uh, you know, the, the the new Charlie Conway is like, yo, I'm going to lead by example. Let's go. We're out here. I need, This is the, what we need to work on. And you can see Gordon Bombay is like, okay, this is going to be worth my time, I think. So yeah, I'm loving it. To be honest it, with you, back in. I hate that you guys got me to watch this because I wasn't going to watch <laughs> this, but I'm, I'm glad you did. And and um, yeah, I mean, if you've seen the original se- uh, the original movie, and and I would I would go back and watch this, whether you have kids or not. It, it's it's pretty good movie. It's a show going on right now. It's I like that you guys talked about the flip because it's very reminiscent of what's going on in the in the TV show Cobra Kai, right where. Daniel isn't exactly the good guy. I mean, he's not the bad guy, so to speak. Like, it's not like completely like like this Mighty Ducks reboot. Um, but like, like Johnny's the good guy, like the guy that we we would have expected to not be the good guy. And and so it's just kind of fun to see. Like a lot of these retcon shows, I feel like have done a really great job of flipping a script and a narrative in a way that again makes this makes it feel fresh and yet still feel like it's part of that that canon as dave likes to put it it very much goes to show that whoever the camera wants to be the good guy is the good guy we've seen this in so many shows i think the walking dead may be the biggest uh portrayer of this that the only reason that rick's group is are the good guys because we've watched rick's group we would have watched the saviors we would have watched this other group um, they might have been the good guys. And so we've seen the Ducks forever. Now we're not following the Ducks. We're following the other group. And now the Ducks look like the bad guys. It's just a really genius idea to kind of flip it and give kind of a new coat of paint on an old car. Right. And they're they're put together a nice digestible 30-minute episodes 
easy to watch. They've only dropped two episodes so far, so it's really, really easy to catch up. Strongly recommended, nerd approved, especially if you like the Mighty Ducks. But even if you don't, if you're just looking for something that's wholesome, good family film or family entertainment to watch, check it out. It's worth it. The Mighty Ducks Game Changers on Disney+. Plus. I like that you brought up The Walking Dead because The Walking Dead, created by a man known as Robert Kirkman, has a show that debuted on Amazon also last week. And that is the premiere of the animated series based on the comic books of the same name, Invincible. And David Ungar watched the first episode, and after watching the first episode, described the final scene of the episode as the greatest in the history of animation, which then Patrick O'Dowd had to be Patrick O'Dowd and be like, nope. Nice try, though. I did not say it was the greatest. I said it may be one of the greatest, so... That's that's you hedging your bet. That's you hedging your bet on. That's my no, exact wording. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I know you guys have seen more. How many episodes are out now? Four. Four. I'm caught up. I, I I watched the first one, and I mean, I've read like the first collected volume of Invincible, and and man, the adaptation, the animated adapt, adaptation is fantastic. I highly recommend. This is just a great story in every way, and yeah. The last scene is basically Superman kills the Justice League. I mean, you could equate it to that very easily, very graphically. <laughs> I, I I don't know about the greatest of all time. From my standpoint, I know, Pat, you've seen a lot more anime than I have as far as anime goes. Yeah, I've never seen a scene like that. That was nuts and, and insane. And I know it gets worse. I know Omni-Man was ranked like when we did the villain project and we got to the independent comics. Omni-Man was ranked as one of my top 10 independent villains. So it's only going to get worse before anything gets remotely right. better. So, yeah, I, I highly recommend anybody if you if you love superheroes and especially if you love the boys, if you love the boys, you are going to absolutely be all in on Invincible because it is Omni-Man is got some similarities to Homelander. That's for sure. <laughs> in some weird ways. It's a different take on superhero goes bad, right? And that's the thing. It's it's like if you like the boys, don't go in expecting it to be the boys because it's not. But it is along that same sort of theme about and this I'm intrigued to see where this goes because I've never read the comic. And so I don't I'm not very familiar with where this is going to go. But there seems to be some there's there's more to what's off about Omni-Man than than we know. And they're slowly unraveling that. And right now it's more about Omni-Man trying to stay in front of the kind of quote unquote authorities that are trying to prove that he, he murdered, murdered this group. And at the same time, you know, raising his son who is the title character and has powers all his own. And is you know, a 17 year old boy trying to step into the roles of the role of a superhero and screwing up colossally. He's already screwed up twice. Big time. Both of his first like big deals that he's had to deal with. He's messed up. And one of those is going to come to roost sooner rather than later. If you've, you know, if you're up to date with his little jaunt to Mars. So, go um, you know, when I, when I read what, what uh dave said about the show because i saw i seen it before you guys saw it because i saw it the first day i think me and tony saw it before you guys did um 
I agree with him initially, and I still do. But I think the reason I agree with him is different than the reason Dave agrees with me. Or Dave, and it's simply because I didn't know it was coming. Mm-hmm. I've never read Invincible. I don't know anything about Omni-Man. I know you mentioned him in the Villain Project, but I don't have a memory the last past two days. Well, I don't remember what we talked about last episode, let alone months ago. So when I saw that, it was a literal, I think Tony texted me this too. It was a literal jump out your bed moment. Like literally it was like how it was, I felt the same way watching that as I felt when, uh, when the streak was broke. It was one of those, what the fuck did I just watch? And I think the shock of that added to the imagery and the actual animation is what makes it so great. Gotcha. And, and the show's fantastic. It, and the show, personally, I'm not going to get into it on the show, but personally has reinvigorated a motivation, something personally in me. I think it, it is becoming, quickly becoming one of my favorite um, superhero properties that I've been invested in in a long time. Um, that's saying something. I'm not, not going to lie, man. I thought you were going to say like you were getting really behind Omni Man, and then I was going to stop responding to texts and calls for your, like Ray's going to try to get all of the bandwagon together and murder us all. And like I was, I was nervous, a little scared. Well, see, to be fair, I would do that if I wasn't a part of the bandwagon nerds. Remember, Omni Man was never a part of the Guardians. That's true. He is. He's an independent contractor. Yes, but I am contracted. I have signed the dotted line. That's there fantastic. you go. It's fantastic. And how do you get a character who's who's even more paranoid than Nick Fury? They did that. That's amazing to me. The other thing that's kind of nuts about this, and then, sorry, Tony, I'll let you go. The cast, like the voice cast that's on this, if you just look on, look, like I was on IMDb, even for people who are doing like one-off episodes, like they got some heavy hitters to, to do a lot of the voice acting for this. And it's it's terrific. It shows. Kudos to Amazon and the ability they give you to see who is exactly either playing in a scene or voicing a scene and giving you that right. All you have to do is run your mouse up onto the screen and it will give you what's on your TV. And I think that's something all streaming services need to adapt to. Um, As far as the series goes, I turned it on not knowing what to expect, right? I've never even heard of the Invincible comic book before. And right away, I'm like, okay, well, there's Flash, and there's this one, and there's Aquafish Man, and then there's Superman, and, you know, all these things. And then I'm watching, and I'm like, okay, well, this is different. This is different. And then I really get into the relationship between Omni-Man and his son. Like, that's something we haven't seen too much at high level. Maybe something we're going towards in the boys. But, yeah, you know, to equate it to the boys, it is more adult, right? Uh, I enjoy Sandra Oh as the mom. She does a great job with that character. And uh, I'm hooked. I I thought it was great. The the relationships between the people, the the demon from hell being the investigator trying to save, you know, Damien Darkblood, I believe. Um, So I'm, I'm in for all of it. I thought it was wonderful, wonderfully done. And yeah, if even if you're not a fan of cartoons or comic books, if you're a fan of a good story, that's really what almost everything we talk about on this show is. If you can tell a good story in the right way, we're be a fan of it. And I think they're doing that with Invincible. It's very true, very true. Uh, Dave, go ahead. No, I'm just saying it, 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 it raises the hopes from a lot of people like me who are Image Comics fans that if Invincible does really well and they can tell a good story through animation, 
maybe you can get something like a Savage Dragon animated series, or even God forbid, if they're going to put Saga on the uh, Saga, excuse me, on the uh, on animation. I mean that. If you've never read that series, Ray, go read that. That I would highly recommend to you. That is some of the most batshit crazy stuff you will ever read, and it is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I'd love to. I would love to see Lion Cat brought to life. But as far as Invincible goes, man, they really have done an excellent job so far capturing the feel and, and, and even the pacing to a certain extent of the comics. And it is um, it is a tour de force. And, and I'm saying that after one episode. I don't even need to watch the other three. I'm going to. But I can tell you right now, I'm going to love it because it is just a tremendous series. And, and the conflict between Invincible and his dad, you know where that's going to head eventually. So you're just waiting for that. Right. J.K. Simmons, by the way, I, I'm wondering if it's in his contract that anytime he does voice work that he has to portray a character with white, whitish hair and a dark black mustache, a la J. Jonah Jameson. Seems like that's that's in his in the writing there. I'm not I'm not sure what happened. Commissioner but Gordon, too. Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, it's it's a look. It's a style. It's what he's got. OK, so now those are those are the two things that I've been watching. Anything that we're not watching that maybe we should be watching. Tony watches a lot of TV, so this could be dangerous. Uh, he's always picking up new shows. I'll keep, go last. Keep your cooking shows to a minimum, sir. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> I'll go last. I know Dave doesn't have any time, so I'd be I'd be hard pressed to to know because Dave Dave's been telling me he's just been busy, busy, busy. So I did watch what Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, I got through that. Oh, me too. Yeah, got but, through that. That's 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 a ring. No, no, I I love that movie. I absolutely. I thought it was fantastic. Loved it. Um, it was very that, fun. It, it was, was a very yeah, fun. Movie. It was, it's um, yeah. I mean that like uh, it was good. I mean Pat's gonna. We're, I'm sure we're gonna talk about it on the nerd review this week. But um, I I didn't have too many of the issues that you had with it. So, but it's a fun movie. Really, stupid humans. Just stupid humans I, don't I, need to be in the movie. I for did. As long it's as every it. movie though. But I didn't see the human no, it's element every as American kaiju movie. It's every American kaiju movie. I, I didn't see. That's my problem. I'll say this. I didn't see the human factor as prevalent as the first Godzilla or King of the Monsters that I, I didn't see they were in the periphery on this one they this... fucking defibrillate Kong they had to they had to bring him back no. oh, if they didn't if they didn't play Kong then they would have been able to stop Mecha Godzilla so I mean like that's right spoilers by the way if you guys haven't seen it we're not a spoiler free podcast we never have been that's right okay and I, I like that the hollow yeah, earth, the hollow I'm, earth theory I'm is really the hollow earth theory is really journey to the center of the earth. That's really all we're talking about there. Right. It's like it's like not oh. that the earth is hollow. It's that it's a world within a world. That's what they're talking about. It's like but oh, they, but they've been but they've been arguing that since Kong Skull Island. Like the hollow earth theory has been around in this series of films for for a while that's uh, to me that wasn't anything new at all the way people are acting like that was some revolutionary thing they just finally discovered it in this one so what about you ray you watch anything else anything else out there for the masses i I am i am i don't know if you guys would be interested in it because it's more like like late teen early adult early adult drama type stuff um but there's a show on youtube that uh not youtube but on uh netflix that i had it been in my list for a minute it's called jenny and georgia that shit takes a turn my goodness like you think it's gonna be like you know your standard uh 
wacky mom and wacky daughter, and it gets like there's like it's all yeah. dark. Oh boy, it it is it's really enjoyable. Um, yeah, and the other show uh, that I'm hooked on, I'm looking forward to come back from break is All American on CW. That's a fantastic show. All right, before you go, Tony, I have one show that's debuting on HBO on April 11th that I'm really excited about. If you are a fan of steampunk, I think that's what this looks like. It's got a it's got a pretty good look. It's called The Nevers, uh, and it takes place in I want to say like late 1800s, early 1900s. I think it's Britain, uh, but women with powers, uh, along with some like what looks like some fun sort of far more um, advanced technology than, than really should be there. Could be a cool, cool show. I'm interested. It debuts on, on April 11th. I'm going to check that out. Tony, lay it on us. What have you been watching, man? All right. First, an old school movie that I went back and watched was Diner with Mickey Rourke oh, and Tim, Tim Daly, Paul Reiser, Steve Gutenberg, uh, Daniel Stearns, I believe. Uh, it's really good. Go back. Check it out. It's well worth it. You, you'll, you'll enjoy it. It's from the early 80s. Uh, something on tap for me is Bad Trip with Eric Andre, Laurel, and Tiffany Haddish. It's a hidden, uh, hidden camera prank show, and it's like a movie about it, but it's a little bit more adult. So maybe don't watch it with your kids, but maybe you'll enjoy that a little bit more. Have you seen it, Ray? I haven't seen it, but it's all over Netflix. But it's kind of like the Jackass movies, but the ones that they did individually, like Jackass Bad, Bad Grandpa, something right. like that. Yeah, but it, it looks hilarious. Yeah. So I got, that on, I got that on tap. A uh, couple food things. Meat Eater, they're, they released another few episodes of that. Uh, Steven Rinelli goes out and takes a celebrity or someone you know that's well-versed in the country that they're going to hunt in. They take you through the hunt. They come back, they cook the food. It's some great nature scenery and a really good education on how these, how you can be a responsible hunter, environmentally responsible, and and do a, uh, a service to what you're hunting as opposed to a disservice as, as well. And then uh, um, Hot Ones. Hot Ones on, on YouTube. You can find everything. It's just an interview show with one guy, and they eat really fucking hot hot wings, and almost every celebrity you could think of is on there. So there's someone you can find that you're going to enjoy watching. It's really good. And then my last thing is Magic for Humans is back on Netflix. Oh, nice! From Spain. Oh, cool. Um, Mago Pop from Spain goes out and does it over across in Europe there. And you can't really watch Magic and read subtitles, so they found some good people to do some voiceovers. You get used to it, but you still enjoy the magic and everything. So. Those are just a few of the things that are on my radar that I've been enjoying, and I think you would too. Excellent, excellent. So there you have it, folks. The Bandwagon Nerd stamp of approval shows that you should be jumping on board with and watching. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to cover all that is James Gunn, The Suicide Squad. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? 
Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code ChairShot. Get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code ChairShot. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. And we are back. All right, all right, all right. I would be remiss if I didn't remind you all, by the way, I forgot to do this before we went into the commercial break, that if you love what we're doing over here at thechairshot.com on the Chairshot Radio Network, that you head over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash thechairshot and buy a shirt. We have all kinds of great designs out there, everything from chairshot dot com logos to sayings from our shows hashtag journalism that one's there for you ray cash to even a shirt for your beloved bandwagon nerds we love giving you quality content we want to be able to keep giving you all quality content and the best way to do that is to support us by heading over to pro wrestling tees.com forward slash the chair shot and picking up a shirt all right gentlemen before we go any further Happy trails to Mr. Ray Cash. He had to go do family Easter stuff because we were recording on Easter Sunday. So bye-bye, Ray Cash. We will miss you. But I wanted to talk about the Suicide Squad because we are now two trailers in. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm sold. I'm sold. I'm sold on this being a potentially great DC Comics movie. And I'm hard on DC Comics movies. And maybe it's a James Gunn bias. I don't know. But just from what I've seen out of John Cena alone, tells me that he is going to steal this movie. He absolutely deserves this show that apparently he's getting for this movie as he plays the role of Peacemaker. And so I I figured we'd start by just getting some thoughts on the trailer, but I would really like, and this is probably going to come down to honestly, our resident DC expert, David Ungar helping us more than anybody. And now the eyes are wide because I'm not very familiar with the suicide squad. And I put it out there to the chat group that I I really wanted to, to learn a little bit, even if it's about uh, some of the characters and Dave was like, well, which ones you want to do? They die so much. So I figured we'd focus on the movie itself and the characters we've seen out of the movie and i'm thinking we can bring up imdb and i can rattle off some of these characters and maybe get some help but yeah i'm i'm in i'm in so let's start with the second trailer where i i think i'm with peace peacemaker you know i i I cherish peace i don't care how many men women and children i have to kill to achieve it brilliant stuff so all you got so dave kick it up Right. I just I I love the two trailers so far. I mean, it has James Gunn's fingerprints all over it. It feels more like a Guardians of the Galaxy type of movie. He's injected that James Gunn, very identifiable style of humor to this where it's just funny. It's not like the first attempt at Suicide Squad where they are trying to force it 
to be funny because, hey, everything else in the DC universe at that point was so dark. Let's try and do this. This this feels like a Guardians movie. It, it feels like James Gunn. It's it's funny. It's got, you know, all the big explosions. It's got everything that you would want in this. Harley is is portrayed a little bit differently. I, I know I've expressed my concern in the past about overpowering her to the point that she steals the, the movie and buries everybody. But then when you see like John Cena's character and Idris Elba's character and the things that they're doing, and I, I, I'm really, really optimistic about the prospects for this movie and what it could mean. And I think, you know, it, it's important for multiple reasons because in the wake of the Snyder cut and the tsunami of restore the Snyder verse, this is a WB property. Now, whether this is officially DC canon going forward or not, who knows? But I think this is their chance to say, let's get away from the Snyder verse and, and show where we're kind of going with this property. And I really optimistic about where this movie is heading. James Gunn makes all the difference. I, I really think that he's, he's the X factor here. I don't I don't know what else to say about it. It's a phenomenal. Both trailers are phenomenal. They're funny. They're fun. They get me interested. I'm like, yeah, let's get to August or whatever. What is it? August is this supposed to come out? Uh, I'm on their IMDb page right now. Let's see what they say. June? Um, is it June? I don't remember. Oh, I'm not seeing it. Where is it? Well, while you're looking, I mean. Yeah, you go ahead. Give think, your thoughts. I think the casting is important here as well because – you're basically putting together a group of people that are what known villains for the most part that are going to do good now for, you know, personal reasons or that or the other, but you, you give them redeeming, you give them redeeming qualities by casting John Cena and Idris Elba and Margot Robbie and people of that nature. Dave, you were right. August 6th. But I think that's really important, right? You know, you talk, Patrick, you talk about John Cena going to knock it out of the park here. It's because He's so likable in being that, you know, almost ignorance is bliss kind of character where, you know, you said it before, I'll kill as many people as I can for freedom. You know, it's like the, the, the irony there is is palpable and it's it's excellent. OK, Dave, are you ready to teach us about the Suicide Squad? <laughs> Look, here's the thing about the Suicide Squad it is it is a very difficult prospect to teach anybody about because their lineup changes frequently. I think from my standpoint, it's more the new 52 suicide squad task force X or whatever they're called that I kind of associate with them. And, and that's where they do introduce Harley into this thing. And, and I mean, there's, I mean, there, there, I, I don't even know if you could say there's core members modernly right. Harley. So let's, oh, oh, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. Let's start. Let's just start at the very beginning here. The suicide squad Basically, what do we know? Who 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 is Amanda? What's her name? Amanda Waller, and what is this? What is the purpose of this group? Let's start yeah. there. Amanda Waller, I guess, is sort of comparable to Nick Fury, but with a different agenda. Right. You know, Nick's putting together a group of of, of super powered beings to protect the world. Amanda's more in the dark ops realm of things, where she's got a group of like Tony was saying. They're bad guys. I don't think that they're doing anything for the sake of being good. They are manipulated because they all have explosive devices planted in their head that she's going to detonate if they do not do her bidding. So they end up doing some good deeds, but at their core, they are still who they were. 
you know, you've got guys like Peacemaker, who is not a superhero. You've got I, I forget who's um who's Idris Elba. Bloodsport. Bloodshot. Bloodsport. 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 Um, you know, he's not a superhero. King Shark. Definitely not a superhero. He's got some no major issues. Harley Quinn. Enough said right there. You know, so it is it is Amanda has in exchange for some leniency in their sentencing. She convinces and, you know, in exchange for them, her not blowing their heads off. She has assembled this task force of varying members and varying entities at varying times to go and do specific missions for her that groups like, say, the Justice League or the Justice Society, they're a little bit too highbrow to do this kind of shit. So she needs guys, ground level villains to do her bidding, to do some of the nasty, dirtier sort of stuff she doesn't want the the government or the president or even Superman or somebody like that to know about. I, I think they got some of that stuff right in the first movie, Amanda Waller's interactions and like this post credit scene with her and Bruce Wayne was pretty accurate where Bruce is basically saying, shut it down or we'll shut you down. And and there is history between the justice league and suicide squad. So that's kind of like a, a cliff notes version of what suicide squad is. They are bad guys who are being manipulated to do a specified mission for a specific person for a specific reason. Now, has anybody ever had the explosive device in their head pl- triggered? I think, well, I mean, in the first movie you saw Captain Boomerang got his head blown off. I think at other points... And yet, and yet by magic, Captain Boomerang is in this movie. Well, because it, it's almost like... Yeah, exactly. I and, and this is the part that DC, it's hard from a fan standpoint because we love continuity so much and we've been trained that way for Marvel. And with DC, we've talked about it the last, what, three weeks ever since Snyder Cut came out about... Continuity doesn't matter. Shouldn't matter in the DC universe. They should have almost like a whiteboard and just be able to do what they want. And so you're almost at the point where saying it's like Superman three and and the quest for peace. Ah, that really didn't happen. And now you've got ah, that first suicide squad movie that really didn't happen. Now, I don't know if they try and explain that why captain boomerang is back, whether it's a different captain boomerang in the comics. Yeah, it happens from time to time. I would say Uh, it's uh, it's a little bit different there. They're they're, they're a tighter group in like the new Fifty Two line of comics than than was portrayed in the uh, in the movie in what was it twenty sixteen I guess, but that's the the gist of it. The general threat all, all the time. And Amanda Waller is she's a fascinating char- character. She's the best part of this because she's manipulative. There's not much about her that's redeeming, and I, I like to make that comparison with her and Nick Fury. They are not the same. They both. tend to pull the strings they're both puppet masters but their ideology and their morality is completely at opposite ends of the spectrum nice so there you you mentioned that there's a rotating cast of characters and in this movie it seems to me that james gunn tried to cast as many people as possible for as many quote-unquote members of suicide squad that he could so I'm just going to go through the ones that I'm not familiar with because I think that's going to that's that might narrow it down to oh I don't know all of them and um and we'll just see what you can tell me and I want to start with our big sort of the de facto leader of the group as it's been portrayed so far in the uh the trailers and you mentioned him Idris Elba's character Bloodsport 
You say he's not he doesn't have powers. Tell me about this guy. What do you what can you tell me about Bloodsport that I need to know? Well, I'm trying to I mean I just, look him up. I'm looking him up right now actually in the DC database cuz I'm not that familiar with I, Suicide Squad is not one of my hardcore go-to comics. I mean, I've read like the best one I read was Suicide Squad versus Justice League. That was fun. But um yeah, I mean so they're playing Idris Elba. I'm looking first appearance Superman 2 or Superman April of 1987, uh, Aryan Brotherhood, affi- affiliated with the Aryan Brotherhood, which I think is funny when you look at who's playing him in this movie. It's like, right, well, well, you guys kind of went in the other direction. Uh, I'm just trying to I'm trying to get you some information on him, Pat, because I'm not that familiar with him. Tony, you got any more? You're a big DC guy. You got more familiarity with him. I can read from Wikipedia with the best of them. Robert Dubois is a Vietnam draft evader who had a mental breakdown and became obsessed with the Vietnam War after learning that his brother had gone in his stead. So that's like the original there. Um, drafted to the United States Armed Forces. Upon introduction, fled to Canada. Not because he was morally opposed to the war, but because he was afraid of death. So, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean... You're you are you're you're asking a lot for us to know all these different characters. See, bar, barked up the wrong tree. Well, Ray just, left. I know Ray. Ray would have had something to add. They are, they are such fringe characters, and and let's be honest, Marvel has got plenty of them as well. I mean, go ahead, Pat. Give right. me the history of Jubilee. Go ahead. I'll wait. You know, it's stuff like you that. Mean, we shoot, we shoot um, sparks of energy from her hands. Sure. Probably got most of her fame from the early 90s uh, X-Men cartoon more than anything, though she was involved in the Chris Claremont edition of the X-Men eventually. Jubilation Lee is her name. Uh, she wears a yellow jacket. See? And has big hoop earrings. So he he's ahead of us on that part, Tony. But there there are a lot of... That's what I love there is you tried to, <laughs> tried to give me. <laughs> give me some history on Dazzler. No, never mind. Don't. I, I we don't want to know it. It's danger. Yeah, I know. Axel Asher. No, stop it. <laughs> stop it with the Axel Asher crap. I know. I know. And like reading through here, it does he does have a brief encounter with Deadshot, and Deadshot was is somebody we know a little bit more about from the first one. Um, you know, it seems like he's going to be a central character. Harley's going to be central. Peacemaker is obviously going to be central. As to who else survives and runs the gamut of what, and King Shark, of course. There, I mean King Shark. So what's the deal with King Shark? Because last week when we brought up this trailer, Tony was a little disappointed because it seemed like he's not quite the big goofus that he was portrayed in the trailer in other iterations. Would that be? You know, a lot of my love for DC is is for the Flash and, and lies there and, and watching the CW series, which is amazing. And him being such a ferocious and um, not – Maybe not. You wouldn't use the word intelligent, but you definitely wouldn't go the other way to see his character portrayed that way. But, you know, that's just a different iteration. And a lot of what DC is doing is maybe be playing all sides of the characters that they possibly can. Right. So who knows what kind of story they're going to have for him being the way he is. He's obviously being used as the comic relief here. But this movie seems like it has a lot of comedy in it. And and that just seems like maybe a better route for DC to take at times, i.e. Doom Patrol, etc. And King Shark's not a very comedic, <laughs> comedic character right. most of the time, no, which I know it's... is what you had an issue with, which I'm like, uh, all right, I, I guess I get what they're doing, but I always kind of looked at King Shark as like a killer croc sort of along those lines where 
and and then ironically enough, they tried to use Killer Croc as sort of comic relief in the first Suicide Squad. So maybe they're trying to use King Shark for that role. I just say keep him killers. I, I mean, and let him roll with uh, what we're more used to. Yeah, I would have maybe used like a Grodd here instead of a King Shark. Ooh, that would have been yeah. cool. Okay, so I'm looking down this list at some of the other names. Sean Gunn is portraying Weasel, which was clearly just what looked like a human-sized weasel. I don't know that there's anything more we could really pull out of that. But Nathan Fillion, who often shows up in James Gunn movies, is playing a character called TDK. Do we know anything about that guy? Uh, I'm just doing I'm doing the deep dive characters right now because these are the ones that like like Soul Soria. I have no idea who that is. Um, hell, I barely know anything about Captain Boomerang. So TDK apparently is has the uh, metahuman ability to detach his own arms and telekinetically oh, control saw them. That in the trailer. Yes, we saw that trailer, right? Like, okay, that's, so that's kind of a cool. That, that, now that is a different power. I can detach my arms and telekinetically control my arms. To make them just do whatever they... I mean, okay. I'm in on that. That's that's unique. That's somewhat useless and useful, I guess. That's interesting. Useless and useful all at the same time. Doctor Who himself, Peter Capaldi, is playing Thinker. And it's funny. When I saw him in the trailer where they're doing the little walk-by thing and Harley's like, if you have personalized license plates, you die that that sort of weird business he looked he looked a lot like uh the way i picture brainiac actually and so again know nothing about this character he's a flash character you, isn't he isn't he tony thinker yes so what is he in the flash i don't remember <laughs> there's been a lot of okay so that's to anybody who like, and I don't really love getting into the Marvel DC debate. The more I deep dive into Marvel and, and, and listen to you guys, like I love them both. I don't know if I really have a preference anymore, to be honest with you, but I do have a preference for the flash. And the thing about DC though, is they do a really good job of having a lot of villains that do have some depth to them. And there are so many villains in the flash series that it is pretty damn hard to keep track of. Let me tell you after seven seasons now, well, here's what's interesting. As I'm looking at his Wikipedia page, they have five different people who have been thinker. Clifford DeVoe, Cliff Carmichael, Des Connor, Artificial Intelligence, and Unnamed think- Thinker, who popped up in the new 52. So, I don't know. Peter Capaldi is a hell of an actor. If you've ever watched him in Doctor Who, like you know he's going to pull off something that's terrific. And it looks like he's pretty sinister in this one. So... Interesting, interesting stuff. This conversation, fellas, is not going in the direction I hoped it to. You have failed the bandwagon. I, I could I could tell you a little bit about Blackguard, Pete Davidson's character, if you want. Tell me he's about Blackguard. An evil, he's an evil guy that uses a suit. He doesn't have any powers. His name is actually okay. Dick Hertz, Richard Hertz. So Dick Hertz, nice. Pete Davidson playing a character named Dick Hertz is pretty fucking apropos to me. If I, I, I mean, if I'm thinking about, and, and I enjoy Pete, I enjoy Pete Davidson's shit as well. He was an initial member of the Task Force X. So, I mean, if you go back in comic book-wise, look at that. But otherwise, you know, like Dave said, I think they take a lot of liberties with these characters and kind of turn them what they want to do for this movie. And like we've said with the trailers, it looks phenomenal. Yeah, Like like Peacemaker, I mean, interestingly enough, John Cena's character has been around almost as long as Superman has. 60s. 40s. 
I thought. In the 40s. Oh, is it the 40s? I thought it was yeah, 1966. He's been around oh, forever and portrayed in all sorts of different ways. And and I, I mean, that he's he's got a big role, obviously, in this one. So that's going to be fun how they how they do that. But I mean, yeah, Suicide Squad is just they're not as well known as Justice League. And they are a little bit they're using older characters, but they're kind of a newer sort of group. Um, and I, I mean, I'm just excited to see what Gunn does as far as fleshing out. I don't know how much you can flesh out of these characters' backstories in when you've got that many of them in two hours. So that'll be right. That'll be fun. Isn't that the isn't that the bonus side of it though? By using lesser known characters, that you do have a little bit more leeway as far as fan expectation and how the fans will appreciate it because a lot of them will have less of an idea of what they want to see coming in as opposed to what you're going to give them. Right. And and then you've got, you know, I mean, and with, with Peacemaker, the important part to remember is that he, like Pat said earlier, he is going to have his own spinoff on HBO max. And, and, you know, so you're starting to see DC doing their own, Hey, we've got our platform here. Let's start getting some shows out there. So you got to figure he's surviving this mess somehow some way oh yeah i i i I think they see something special in john cena and and he really has he's the next he's the next to transition over right like into some real mainstream success he's already doing it he's hosting all kinds of game shows and wipeout and this and that and now we're gonna see him like this this movie it's like his scorpion king really because he's been in other movies but this one feels like it could be a legit launching pad for him to to be that household name that you know the rock is yeah and if, so if we get peacemaker and black adam in a film together does that make it three times in a lifetime guys just wondering about that and on that note what a go jellyfishing what am i supposed to do all day while you're at school can i use your bathroom who's your friend what does claustrophobic mean? <laughs> you know what the problem is? So I got to tell you, I hate SpongeBob so, so much. So I love that we use this. And it's actually perfect for this week's edition of Patrick O'Dowd. I am officially turning in my resignation from Bandwagon Nerds. Thank you, guys. It's been real. Anyway, Wait, <laughs> you, you like SpongeBob? My kids grew up on SpongeBob. I love that show. I feel so sorry for your children. Jeez. They're all relatively normal. So I hate this show so, so much. And it's perfect for this week's Patrick O'Dowd has a question. Because today, when we're recording, April 4th, is the anniversary of the passing of Roger Ebert. Died eight years ago today. And Roger Ebert is probably my inspiration for all of my nerd review hate. He wrote, in my opinion, the single greatest negative review ever when he reviewed Rob Reiner's classic film, and I say that facetiously, North. He had this to say about the movie. I hated this movie. Hated, 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 hated this movie. Hated it. Hated every simpering, stupid, vacant, audience-insulting moment of it. Hated the sensibility that thought anyone would like it. Hated the implied insult to the audience by its belief that anyone would be entertained by it. It's epic roasting. It's one of my favorite pieces of journalism. 
out there in terms of movie reviews, and it leads to my question to you. Gentlemen, I'm going to go two different directions here. Part one, what is a movie out there that you hate with the passion that Roger Ebert hated North? And part two, what is a movie that you are willing to defend to the death is better than the hate that it receives? Think on this for a second. I think we all know the movies Patrick O'Dowd hates. I don't even know that we need to cover the movies that Patrick O'Dowd hates. Um, Dave, would you care to guess? The two that jump to mind are Dumb and Dumber and Rise of Skywalker. Dumb and Dumber is the the worst movie on the fucking planet. It is terrible. It is stupid. I held my tongue during the 90s project because I just don't have a good thing to say about that worthless piece of trash. But a movie that is, by most critical views, awful, and most fan views awful that I will defend to the day I die is Gene Kelly's last movie, Xanadu, starring Olivia, Olivia Newton-John. Oh, I'll jump on the bandwagon with you on that one. Music by the Electric Light Orchestra. Oh, just great, great stuff. Cheesy, beautiful, and a roller skating dance number that lasts 20 minutes long to end the movie. Outstanding. Tony, what do you got for us? All right, I, I'll... I'll... I'll play both sides for you. So I think two movies that I think I, I enjoyed that get a lot of hate are Phantom Menace. We've talked about that before. Um, and AI. Like, I didn't hate it. I seen it in the theater. I know a lot of people extremely dislike that movie uh, with, the, with the young um, Haley Joel Osment, I believe, is in that movie. Yeah. So And then on, on the other side, it's not a movie that I hate. But a lot of people are surprised. We've said this before, and I'm sure Patrick's going to get mad at me again. But, like, I've literally tried to watch The Lord of the Rings three times, and I've fallen asleep within <laughs> the first 30 minutes of the movie every single time. <laughs> now, it's been over a decade since I've done that, okay? So maybe I could give it a try, but I'm, I, I don't know that there is a movie that I hate. I can tell you that Anchorman and... Um, Let's vote for Pedro. Eat your Napoleon uh, eat Dynamite. Your, uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon, Napoleon, Anchorman and Napoleon Dynamite. The first time I watched those two movies, I turned them off within the first ten minutes and went, eh. But then you have everybody and their mother quoting each movie for the next year and a half, and eventually, you know, I you, love scotch. you. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down, down into my belly. <laughs> That's very. Apropos, because eventually, eventually, you know, you performance enhance to get to a good space to watch those movies and then you enjoy them. So, yeah, that's kind of my my run the gauntlet there with with those things. All right, wow. Dave, come on. So you like, got movies yeah, that are out. movies that are critically acclaimed that I just can't stand. Les Mis, you can't stand. Les Miserables or Les Mis or whatever the fuck they call it. I, I can't stand that movie. I've tried to watch it. I just can't stand it. It's just like, no. You no don't more. like an extreme close-up of Anne Hathaway's snotty nose while she sings and cries? I just don't. Like, I, Dave's do like, musicals they're like that. miserable. I get it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I just don't dig me. Grease is to me the perfect musical. The perfect balance of singing and actual acting and talking. It's with terrific lyrics like Chang Chang, Changity Changjabob. Sure. 
It's another Olivia Newton-John classic. Scoot, scoot, skiddly boop de boop <laughs> Right. Oh, Ram- man. Ram- 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 and I think, like, um, what is that fucking... Clockwork Orange. <laughs> I, I can't get into a Clockwork oh, Orange. Clockwork Orange? I can't. Oh, I've really? tried... I've like wow. you, Teddy, I've tried Are to get through that thirty. A... My wife and I tried to watch it thirty minutes into it. We're like, "Fuck this!" It's not a Stanley Kubrick thing, right? You like other movies? I do. I, I do. I love two thousand one. Oh. Is fantastic, but um, okay. For some reason, Clockwork Orange just can't can't do it. I don't know why. We tried, and it's just like it's too weird. It's just oh. too out there for Interesting. me. Interesting. Now, have you ever read the book? No, I have not. Which might help, maybe. But uh, I mean, no, because the ending of the, the ending of the movie is different than the ending of the book. I mean, it's one of those ones I say, I got to actually just power through and, and get to the end and see. It's one of those. I'm sure it makes more sense at the end. Um, but as far as like movies, defending movies that other people dislike, I, I mean, well, Pat knows I've defended Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker against him numerous times. And I mean, that, come around that one, huh? no, I mean, it's probably not going to happen until you admit that Last Jedi is the inferior movie, which you're not going to. So. There you Speaking go. of hills, I'm willing to die on. Yeah, yeah. I last uh, oh, Jedi. <laughs> Beyond that, I mean, Star Wars has got a few. I mean, I, I'm a big defender of Revenge of the Sith. I, I greatly enjoyed that movie. Um, you know, I. Beyond that, that's hard. As far as like stuff that people hated, I, I think we all have a soft spot. Like, there's a big group of people who despise Flash Gordon, and you and I absolutely love it. Pat. What is wrong with those people? I, they're fucked up. But you and I don't they see it that way. You don't I. You and I don't see it that way. And uh, I, I think you know. I think I would almost go out on a limb in saying that I'll defend BVS up to a certain point, especially the extended version, which I like better than the original one. I'll defend that up to a certain point. I used to defend Justice League a little bit, saying it's not as bad as everybody says. And then I saw the Snyder cut and I said, you know, it is as bad as everybody said it was. But those are kind By the of the way. It wasn't until you started talking about the Justice League that I figured out that you were saying Batman versus Superman when you went oh, BVS. Oh, BVS. I didn't get it at all. Oh, sorry, man. I mean, I mean, both of those movies are objectively terrible, but that's okay. Us, us D- DC guys knew exactly what he was talking about. I, I mean, going <laughs> along those lines, I didn't despise Man of Steel. I uh, I didn't despise like the Superman three with Richard Pryor. I didn't hate it. I hate Quest for oh, Peace. Oh come on, dude! I hate Quest for Peace. Uh, well, Quest for Quest for Peace that that's a whole. If you want to watch an interesting documentary, there's a documentary out there, and I can't remember what's called, but it's about Canon Films, and Canon Films was able to get there. They were the company that made the really bad masters of the universe movie with Dolph Lundgren, God. but the other, I like that one, but the other movie that they got the rights to was quest for peace and the budget. They were so out of money to make that movie that you got what you saw. It's horrible because Canon films was kind of run like a, they were like a low rent film studio that like used to just make really cheap films that they could just crank out. And and it's actually kind of funny because you know who one of their big stars was, right? It's Chuck Norris. Yeah. Chuck Norris did a ton of movies for them and they made bank off of the, like he was the missing in action guy. Like he did that. They were, they were the studio that I think gave us break in and break in Two, electric blue boogaloo. Like, which, by the way, you want to talk about a terrible movie, Electric Boogaloo. There you go. Not so there good. 
But um, no, it was just um, they they got overextended trying to make this He-Man movie, and that was supposed to be their tentpole flick. And by the end of the film, they were so out of budget that they couldn't afford a set, which is why the final battle between He-Man and Skeletor is shot mostly in the dark because they didn't want you to see that there was nothing, that they were just fighting in this empty space. So fascinating, fascinating stuff. I, and Canon Films, I'm going to look up the name of this documentary before we go because yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, like you're saying, not even Christopher Reeve could save quest for peace well and he had a he had a big hand in that like that heavy-handed anti-nuclear war thing uh um, they were trying to send the right message but it just came across like what the fuck is this it was it was a that is a movie that i mean in as big a superman mark as i am i can't defend that one right. and here's one though but going in the opposite direction movie that critics fucking hate that i will die on the hill in defending is superman returns absolutely Brandon Routh with a cr- tremendous performance. I get it. The plot was stupid. The whole thing with the kid was dumb as fuck. But you cannot tag that on Brandon Routh, who I thought turned in a tremendous performance. It's, I mean, you compare him, Henry Cavill, who I love, but you look at Be- Brandon Routh's portrayal of Clark Kent, compare that to the limited. And I think that's the problem with Man of Steel is there's just not enough Clark Kent in it. It's too much Superman. You never connect with the Clark Kent character in that. And even when he shows up, he's not the bumbling glasses wearing doofus that we know and love from the, from the comics and from the original movies. He's kind of cool, you know, and that's a problem. That's a big disconnect with man of steel, but I love Superman returns. I, it's one that I, I don't understand the hate for that. So the name of the documentary I was trying to come up with is called electric boogaloo, the wild untold story of Canon films. Check it out. You won't be sorry. It's really, really interesting about a company that hit the highest of highs in the 80s for a while, just being low print direct to video films to the lowest of lows when the money ran out and they put together two of the worst big time movies of all time. With that said, gentlemen, thank you for your hills to die on and your worst of the worst. We're going to head out, but before we do, Let's tell everybody where to find us out there in the interwebs. This week, we will start with the live studio audience, Mr. PC Tunney. Folks, uh, check out Mania Madness, Cheershot Radio Network. Last week, Ray Cash and Mags joined us for Mania's 25 through 30. And then the final episode will be this week with myself, Big Dave there, Christopher Platt, and a special guest that I'm not going to name yet. And as I try not to sneeze, you can follow me at PC Tunney. And thank you for all of your listenership on the Cheershot Radio Network we, we truly do appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We really do. David Ongar. I, 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 would want, I do want to say, <laughs> Patrick's rundown was talking about him being on the bandwagon for the Suicide Squad discussion. I think it's safe to say we were all on the bandwagon to a certain extent. Living up to the name yep. of this show, finally, it only took... We, 70, we learned our limitations. It took 73 episodes, but here we are. We're all bandwagoners, and, and, and that... You know, that sort of thing. But yeah, you could check me out on Twitter at Attitude Ag. That is at Attitude AGG and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. Mania Madness is going to be really good because this is the last block of, of them. And these are all the WrestleManias that came on when the podcast started, when Tunny started, when I started. Three of them I was at personally. One of them, Christopher Platt and I were at personally. We even partied together at one of them. So there'll be some fun, fun anecdotal stories to tell on this batch of WrestleMania madness, uh, mania madness. That's going to be a lot of fun.
Nice. I, I attended 26. So thanks for the phone call, guys. Anyway, I got the boot on that one too, Pat. So I'm there with you, brother. No, no, you got you to gotta understand, Platt did try, but my schedule did not work with when everybody was trying to record. Like it really was, it was on me. Uh, that being said, you can follow me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. Hear me every Sunday with David Ungar for the Chair Shot Radio where we do hockey talk and your team sucks. You can catch us on the bandwagon every Monday afternoon now. And you can catch me every Wednesday talking wrestling with Greg DeMarco and Miranda Morales on the Babyface Heel podcast. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Now get yourself out of the basement, get some sun, but then make sure you get inside to catch what should be the most anticipated college basketball game in a long time, Baylor and Gonzaga for the national title. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network on thechairshot.com. to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon. There is no spoon? Then you'll see that it is not the spoon that bends. It is only yourself. What you do is you just drag your nets along the bottom. On a good day, you can catch over 100 pounds of shrimp. Everything goes all right. Two men shrimp in 10 hours. Let's put two stems on gas. Done, Drill Sergeant! Go! Why did you put that weapon together so quickly, Go? You tell me to, Drill Sergeant. Jesus H. Christ! This is a new company record. If it wouldn't be a waste of such a damn fine enlisted men, I'd recommend you for OCS, Private Gump. You are going to be a general someday, Gump. Now, disassemble your weapon and continue.